Well, as we uh, continue on in our series of Box Office Christmas, we talked about hope and as was just shared about joy last week when we looked at a clip from the Grinch that stole Christmas. Today, we're going to focus on imagine a world without boundaries, without rules, without commands, and the importance of God's laws and teachings in our lives. And so we're going to watch this video clip. Many of you have seen the Christmas story. I know my son Joshua and I, we always get up about oh, I don't know, 7 o'clock on Christmas morning. It's on TBS for 24 hours. And we always uh, watch one of those episodes. And, uh, but uh, we're going to glean some uh, truths from this clip that we're about to see. And uh, as you, many, many of you know, that uh, Ralphie wanted a Red Ryder BB gun. And uh, he was warned several times by his mom and Sin and others that you will shoot your eye out if you get one. And so we're going to see exactly what happens. Let's watch this uh, four-minute clip from The Christmas Story. Hey. What's that over there behind the desk? Where? Oh, behind the desk. It's the wall over there. Let's go check it out. Hmm. Things are dangerous. Shut up. Put on your galoshes and your coat. It's cold out. I, I had one when I was eight years old. What if you hurt some somebody? Yeah. Your coat? Don't shoot any animals or birds. Except the bumpers' is dog. <laughs> Be careful, Ralphie. Now, it is well known throughout the Midwest that the old man is a turkey junkie. A bona fide golly Turkakanis freak. A few days before Christmas, his eyes would begin to gleam with a wild and ravenous light. Okay, Black Bart, now you get yours. I shot my eye out. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. You'll shoot your eye out. Oh, 
Don't shoot your eye out. She hadn't seen. She didn't know. My eyes are right. The BB must have hit my glasses. My glasses? Oh, no, where are my glasses? Few things brought such swift and terrible retribution on a kid as a pair of busted glasses. off the garage and hits me in the eye. It would work. It had to work. Quickly, I whipped up some tears. Melfi? What's the matter, honey? Oh, what happened? What is it? Let me see that. What is it? There's a icicle and, and, and it fell off the garage out of the and it hit me. It's a good lead-in to this message. It's a cute story and we love that traditional Midwestern Christmas idea, but as we think about that, we see Ralphie made up a lie. And uh, the clip, if it were to go on, would show you that it seemingly worked and he seemingly got away with telling, telling a lie to his parents. And that's what we want to talk about today, as we think about living in an age where the boundaries of morality and law are being pushed way beyond the limits of the past and dramatically being redefined. You see, our American laws are rooted in the English law system, which was founded by John Locke, and he rooted the English law system in the Ten Commandments. And our American laws are rooted in those very things as well. First thing we want to see is that, sadly, in our society, the changing of the laws to soften the penalty of crimes. You know, Ralphie thought if he told a lie and got away with it, then he would be safe and good to go. But later on, you know, as time went on, you tell one lie after another lie after another lie, you've got to keep covering those lies up until the truth is finally found out. Uh, we live in an age where people are doing the same thing, and, but they're changing the laws and softening the penalty of the crimes. Some of our leaders want to remove the guilt and the shame of breaking laws. We just saw this week in the news the Jesse Smollett case and uh, how Kim Fox, who is the DA for Cook County in uh, Illinois, uh, decided to drop all the charges in this uh, supposed uh, case that was a, a hoax. And uh, finally, an investiga investigator came along and brought the charges, and he was found guilty of, of setting up a hoax. You know, it's, as we look at our government, it's cheaper and easier for a couple to live together financially than it is to get married. The government, the way the laws are set up, are desensitizing and making it more difficult for the nuclear family and marriage not supporting it that way, but uh, emphasizing other ways of living together. Second, denial of what's happening. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's a representative from the House of Representatives in New York, she said recently in an interview, a lot of these allegations of organized retail theft are not actually panning out, but yet the videos uh, show differently. We see a third, third thing that happens in our society to devalue boundaries and laws and 
and uh, commands as appeasement and accommodation for negative behavior. Uh, we're changing the names of what people would ordinarily think are things that are wrong. A pedophile is now considered a MAP, M-A-P, a minor attracted person. Abortion is pro-choice instead of a taking of human life. A juvenile delinquent out in California is called at-risk youth instead of a juvenile delinquent. So we change the names of these things to soften the blow of what they're doing. And fourth, there's very little support for teaching and modeling morality and sharing the consequences of bad decisions and bad behavior. This leads to victimhood. This leads to creating people who are feeling victims and making the cycle in their life of being a victim for generations to come. Abortion, <clears throat> we read about Planned Parenthood providing products to end life or prevent a pregnancy, but we should be teaching about abstinence until marriage. And then fifthly, the logical outcome, if left unchecked, is gonna to lead to anarchy if you take away all the rules and all the consequences and all the things that violate uh, the laws that are there and just make it easy for people to do. We see smash and grab is allowed in places out in California. You can steal up to $950 before you will be prosecuted. And these groups who want to overthrow the American system of laws and capitalism are, are people like Antifa, we're creating riots, we're property damage, and other things are allowed to occur without any incident. There's a great video if you want to go to YouTube. Uh, it's on Dennis Prager. It's on Prager University. It's called Is Murder Wrong? It's a five-minute clip, and basically the summation of it is this. Without God, there is no morality. And so in 1984, George Orwell said this, not merely the validity of experience, but the very existence of external reality was tacitly denied by their philosophy. And here's the key. The heresy of heresies was common sense. Common sense is ridiculed and made fun of today. So imagine for a moment what a world would be like without boundaries of any kind. No rules, no laws, no police force, no law system to embrace the laws or punish wrongdoers. There'd be chaos in our society because everyone would, would do what was right in their own eyes. Now, some define freedom as the ability to do whatever they want, whenever they want, and however they want, without any guilt, shame, or punishment. It sounds good on paper until you start practicing these things, and it would start out okay because if a person did just what they wanted to do and it didn't affect other people, that's one thing, but pretty soon it would start to affect other people, neighbors, and people around them because we are selfish by nature, and it would become a survival of the fittest uh, world or culture at some point. So the problem with these thoughts of absolute freedom is that a world without boundaries is too good to be true. If we lived a life of no boundaries, rules, laws, or morality, it would only get us into trouble. It would create natural consequences like health issues. It would restrict us instead of giving us the freedom we desire. We'd be hurting due to the natural consequences of our wrongdoing. And this kind of freedom brings the worst out in people, and they would have to live with the consequences, the heartaches, the regrets, the rest of their life. Take your Bible, if you would. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1 in our scripture reading for the third week of Advent. We want to see how obedient 
Joseph was when God revealed to him his divine plan. And that's the antithesis of a world without boundaries is that we live within the idea that God has given us good commands, laws, teachings because he's designed us and he wants us to fulfill his design but to find the most satisfaction and joy in him. Many of you have probably been bowling and I love this illustration. Years ago when I went bowling, when I was a kid with my parents and grandparents, you know, they didn't have those uh, blow-up things that they put in the gutters, right? And so when you're just learning how to bowl, you're throwing a lot of gutter balls, right? But I think it's really cool that now you can take your kids and they put those in there, and guess what? They never get a zero in a frame. They can knock down something, right? Because there's boundaries there, and if they roll the ball within the boundaries, not it down some other buddy's lane, they're going to hit something. They're going to see something positive happen in their life. And I believe that's what God wants us to see by him setting up the boundaries of our life to avoid going off the cliffs of life and into heartache. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did it as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. God gives us his word. He gives us his Holy Spirit. <clears throat> he gives us order in creation to, find, to define reality and show us how to live the abundant life that he promises to us all. Even in the midst of difficulties and trials and tribulations and temptations, and even when we fall into sin with subsequent repentance, God is there to reveal himself, to draw us back, to discipline us in love so that he can continue to have an unfettered relationship with us. Let's consider this question first of all, and I encourage you to take out your notes and fill in these blanks today. What is the purpose of God giving boundaries for our life? Why does God do that? Is he a cosmic killjoy? Does he not want us to enjoy everything that he has created? We're gonna unpack that for just a moment. What is the purpose of God giving boundaries for our life? First of all, to give us ultimate freedom. God's word defines what ultimate freedom is all about. In John 8.32, Jesus said these words, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And in New American Standard, it says the truth will make you free. Make you free. And a few verses later in John 8.36, Jesus said, so if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Guess what? If we come to a place in our life where we accept Christ as our savior, and we ask him to come in and forgive us of our sins. 
Romans 5.1 says that we are justified by faith in him. That means he wipes the slate clean. And when God declares us free, we are free indeed. No one else has to tell us that because we have that identity in Christ. And so if you're free in Christ, you're experiencing the true freedom that comes through the Holy Spirit from God. Guilt-free living and obeying his commandments. And so in 1 John, it says, if we know the truth, we will walk in the truth. That's a sign that we are believers in Christ. This is a simple statement to say, but difficult at times to practice or carry out in our daily lives. And if we do walk in the truth, it may cost us something. It may cost us some friends. It may cost us a job or a decision to take a job or not. It might cause us uh, to lose some relationship with family members if we stick with the truth of God's word. We have to accept that character is rarely applauded in the trenches, but we do our best to live our lives out with integrity. Telling the truth in love is not politically correct, and yet the truth needs to be shared, the good and the bad news. So the truth Jesus is talking about here is a truth lived out that doesn't violate God's laws, but embraces them out of love for the Savior. Second of all, he gives us boundaries to protect and provide. To protect and provide. I go back to my illustration of bowling with the uh, balloons and the gutters. It's to keep you diverted, to keep you from falling off into another lane or getting into the gutter. It's to keep you focused, to protect you from the pitfalls of going against his laws, to provide blessing, to see benefit through it. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses talking to the Israelites, he says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and, verse 13, to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. For your good. Albert Pujols, we all, many of you know him, baseball player, played 11 seasons for the St. Louis Cardinals, nine years with the Los Angeles Angels, and then half a season as of late with the Los Angeles Dodgers. He was an eight-time All-Star appearance, a recipient of three National League MVP awards, two gold gloves, and in 2008, the 30 Major League Baseball managers at that time in 2008 said he was the most feared hitter in all of baseball. But the blessing about Albert Pujols is he's been a Christian all through this time. And he shared at Lafayette Singer High School in Missouri a few years ago, he told an audience of men and boys, as a Christian, I'm called to live a holy life. My standard for living is set by God, not by the world. I'm responsible for growing and sharing the gospel. He read from Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Pujols told the crowd, one way for me to stay satisfied in Jesus is for me to stay humble. He went on to say, humility is getting on your knees and staying in God's will, what he wants for me, not what the world wants. And then he had this very important statement to the crowd. He said, it would be easy to go out and do whatever I want, but those things only satisfy the flesh for a moment. 
Jesus satisfies my soul forever. Only satisfy the flesh for a moment. Jesus satisfies forever. So we think about what God gives us in his word and why we want to follow those things. And there are times in our Christian walk where we may think we're missing out on all that the world has to offer. Curiosity can draw us into sin. Stress and loneliness can draw us into doing things that we later regret and looking in the wrong places for answers. We wonder sometimes as believers if it's really worth it to stay on the path and to finish well following Jesus in our lives. But God always forgives when we fail and he draws us back to himself and always be mindful that God will continually to faithfully reward those who faithfully walk with him. Do we believe that God gives us his laws and commandments for our own good? That's the question we need to ask. Do we live our lives out as if that's so, or do we live like feeling like we're miserable and we've missed out on the things of this world, but out of guilt, I'm going to follow these commands because I'm afraid of the punishment that may come. That's not the joy that God wants to bring into our lives. Another reason for boundaries is to, to give and enjoy life. There's life in his laws and his commands and in his scriptures. To give and enjoy life. Take your Bible, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30 as we look at another passage from Moses talking to the Israelites. These Israelites, you know, they were, they were a tough crowd. Um, they wandered in the wilderness. They complained a lot. They thought about stoning Moses from time to time. And the big problem they battled with was getting involved in the idols of the people that they were uh, intermingling with. And that was the issue Moses kept trying to bring them back to the one true God, Jehovah, Yahweh. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. He says, see, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, verse 18, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. God gives us his commandments for a great life here on earth, fulfilling the purpose that he created us uniquely to carry out. And then we can walk in peace with God. The bonus is eternal life after this life. Another important aspect is that how you live will determine how your offspring will live according to this passage. What is the legacy that you want to leave behind? Steve Green used to sing a song, Oh, that they may find us faithful, those who come after us, because we've been faithful to follow God and his word. Are you living up to your spiritual potential? 
What do you do for God? What would you do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? And what is it that would get in your way that would keep you from doing what God wants you to do, to go all out? I encourage you to think about that. And then we see also to show God our love and, our, and to glorify him. That's why we keep his commandments. That's why we follow him. If you're reading the New Testament, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's God's love language. That if we show and we say that we love him, then let's live by what he said. And so we show God our love and we glorify him by keeping his word. 1 John 5.3 has been a real encouragement to me for many years. 1 John 5.3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. What a simple and understandable statement, but somewhere between the church pew or the church chair and that door out there, you know, we make commitments here in this room or here in our devotions. But when we head out the door, either out of church or out for the day, how are we able to keep those commitments? That's why I like listening to that song by Casting Crowns between the altar and the door. Are we doing what we commit to God in private by living it out in our lives? And it gets uh, minimized as we go out the door. We begin to get weak in our commitment. And how do we avoid that? We need to take time to see God and Jesus for who they are and keep that thought in our mind as we go out the door. We need to be in awe and wonder of who they are and to fear the Lord. Remember what Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We need to desire holiness over our personal comfort. And that's a challenge, isn't it? That is. We, we really want to, to, to be a place where we enjoy ourselves and all that, and we, we can, but not at the expense of seeking holiness on God's behalf, and that's what he desires. We need to ask God to help us to be sensitive to sin. We must be willing to honestly confront the sin in our lives and deal with it. And we do that by working on one area or one habit at a time. We need to be ready because when you do these things, when you're fearing the Lord and you're asking God to show you your sin and you try to confront it, you're going to face great opposition from Satan because he's going to want to do everything he can to thwart you bringing change, the resurrection power working in your life. So here's our application here. God gives us the instructions for life to live a blessed and purpose-filled life. That's the purpose for his boundaries, his commandments, his laws, his precepts. He wants to give you instructions so you'll be blessed and purpose-filled, doing what he's uniquely made you to do and to feel fulfilled in carrying out who he's made you to be. Well, know what we do and who we are we must do all to God's glory and what God deems best for each of us. That should be the attitude in our lives. The second main point today is what power do we gain by staying within God's boundaries? What are the benefits? What was the source of strength? What's the benefit to all this? Well, the power over unwanted heartaches and consequences by our choices in life. I'm talking about unintended consequences. There's definitely going to be things that come into our life, like cancer, like the shocking death of a loved one all of a sudden. And we can go on and on. Those are trials and tribulations. But by the choices we make, we can avoid unwanted heartaches 
and consequences. It says in Psalm 118, 1, one through 4, blessed are those whose way is blameless. That means that they're not perfect, but they get forgiveness of sin very quickly when they sin. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. So wherever you are today in your life, and maybe you're here and you have some regrets, there's things that have happened in your past and they're always going to be with you and a part of you. But we can move on from that point or this point today and desire to live a no regrets life. John Greenleaf Whittier, one of our most astute poets, wrote, for all the sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. And a pastor, Joseph Magaha, goes on to say about that little phrase from John Greenleaf Whittier. He says, this is what regret is all about. The world is full of people who regret having thoughtlessly chosen the wrong path. Life is a series of forks in the road. It's a series of decisions. And some of those decisions are more important than others. But the choices are up to us. And the consequences of those choices belong to us also. So when we make those decisions, we need to weigh out what's going to be the benefits or the possible consequences to those choices. We see the power to guard our hearts, to guard our hearts. My heart is broken and almost weekly or every two weeks, I hear about another Christian leader or a Christian person I know that are falling off from their faith. And it just breaks my heart. And it comes back to this key verse in Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. It all is a matter of the heart. Because what you put in your mind and your heart is what's going to come out, what you're going to do in your behavior. Thomas Paine said this, character is much better kept than recovered. And that's true. It takes decades to build character, and you can wipe it out in just one decision in one minute, if you really think about it. D.L. Moody said, character is what you are in the dark. And I might add that character is what you do when no one is looking but God. Maintaining our character now is more than ever is difficult, but it's essential to be the salt and the light in the world that Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. God wants us to be those things and to the fullest extent to be the preservative, to be the light of the gospel as this world grows ever darker. Back to the Christmas story, Joseph, Mary's husband-to-be, had character in how he handled a pregnant, engaged wife-to-be and being Jesus' earthly father. How many of us want to sign up for that? Right? Some big shoes to fill. In Matthew 1.19, it says, And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. On the matter of our heart, many do not protect it. Many do not nurture it. Joseph, he was an honest man. He was a righteous man. He was a self-controlled man. 
But the problem is that many people in our society today don't have boundaries or margins to care for their soul and their heart and the emotional part of their lives. And some live and stay in difficult relationships. We need to build positive things into our lives to build up ourselves so that we can influence those around us to help them develop healthy relationships. And then the power to exhibit self-control. The power to exhibit self-control coming from the heart. In 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul said, but since we belong to the day, since we're part of God's kingdom of light, he said, let us be sober or self-controlled, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. First, we have to set limits and boundaries in our hearts and then it flows out in our behavior, as I said. And I think the hardest part of dealing with self-control is defining the excesses. And for each of us in this room, we need the Holy Spirit, we need the Word of God, we need sometimes outside help to help us to know what are the excesses, what's the extent of going past self-control. We think about food. When is it too much food? We have to individually work and decide on that because everybody's body is unique and different. And talking about food is very difficult during this Christmas and New Year's season, right? We have to know where the excesses are and where self-control is with the area of alcohol, with the area of our work, where we're doing too much work, uh, we're overdoing it, spending money. Those are just a few examples of finding out for ourselves, looking into God's wisdom, what does self-control look like in these areas? And it's not a one-size-fits-all decision. It takes that discernment from God to develop self-control in our lives. But sometimes, if we're honest, we don't want those boundaries. Sometimes we act out because of stress or pain in relationships or disappointments and discouragement, and we blow off self-control. At those times, we need to return to the Word of God and prayer to get our lives centered once again. This is an amazing statement by a very intelligent man. After the 2010 tragic shootings in Tucson, Arizona, Scientific American Magazine published an online article entitled, What Causes Someone to Act Out on Violent Impulses and Commit Murder? They asked questions why some people can control their anger and frustration while others lack self-control. Marco Akobani, a UCLA professor of psychiatry, was interviewed and said this about a year ago. He said, I was at the World Economic Forum, and we had a dinner with people talking about intelligence. The University of Michigan professor of social psychology, Richard Nisbet, the world's greatest authority on intelligence, plainly said in a talk that he'd rather have his son be high in self-control than intelligence. According to Nesbitt, self-control is a key to a well-functioning life because our brain makes us easily susceptible to all sorts of influences. He went on to say, watching a movie showing violent acts predisposes us to act violently. Even just listening to violent rhetoric makes us more inclined to be violent. A man who's one of the leading people who studies intelligence thinks his son needs self-control more than intelligence. Proverbs 16.32 said, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. In the Christmas story, Joseph maintained self-control because he did not know his wife intimately 
until after Jesus was born. Then we see the power to overcome the opposition in order to keep God's boundaries. The power to overcome the opposition in order to keep God's boundaries. In the movie Top Gun, one of the things I enjoyed about that movie was how that the enemy, the Russian enemy, would put um, his laser right on you know, the American fighter pilots. And it was supposed to send a heat-seeking missile right into the belly of that plane. You know what? As Christians, Satan has put a laser target on our lives. He's not so wrapped up in dealing with those that are unbelievers because he already has those. What he wants to do is take away and destroy the testimony of our lives and distract us so that we can't share the light with those who are in darkness to bring them into the kingdom of light. In Zechariah 4, 6, it says, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so we start by fighting on our knees. As we sing that song, the battle belongs to the Lord. We fight on our knees, and we're learning to be still before the Lord. We put on that full armor of God in Ephesians 6, and we use the armament to protect us from the crafty, thrower of fiery darts, Satan himself. We claim the blood of Christ as it tells us in Revelation. We claim the blood of Christ in the word of our testimony when he comes and we challenge him in the name of Christ. Satan knows where we're vulnerable. Lack of sleep can make us irritable. He knows our weaknesses. We never should make major decisions during a time of stress or discouragement. That's when we get ourselves in trouble and sometimes create consequences and unintended heartaches. Claim your strength in God who gives us grace that is sufficient when we come to the end of ourselves or Satan's demons are really coming at us. Two more then, the power to overcome a habitual cycle of sin. Two more, two more things to think about. The power that we possess within the boundaries that God has given us. Ephesians 4 Paul gives this contrast when he talks about, in verse 22, to put off your old self. This is that fleshly nature, that sinful nature that you were born with that wants you to be independent from God and do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. He says to put off your old flesh, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You and I, we have the power to set a new habit in our life. We have the power to set new habits. We begin with changing direction, one small action at a time. And remember that you cannot start a new habit without letting go of an old habit. You've got to replace an old habit with a new one to be successful. You can't just add it to the plate. One idea, for example, that's been recently encouraged me to do is park as far away from a store, park as far away in the parking lot as you can and get those extra steps to go up and back as you go into the store and shop. As Dave Ramsey would say, start with baby steps. And when you fall, and we're going to fall, what's important is you get back up, you dust yourself off, and you don't quit. I like this story by Frank Harrington, and he talks about Christians who are in the war-torn countries of Ukraine and Siberia. They recently celebrated their Christmas, and the writer says he was touched when he read 
an article about their Christmas day in Sarajevo. The awful warfare was all around them despite promise after promise of a ceasefire. The airport was closed on Christmas day. More than a dozen civilians had already been killed. Shelling the residential sections of the city, the Serbian army was just trying to break the morale or break the back of its people and cause havoc on Christmas Day. One reporter was downtown when the horrid sounds of indiscriminate shelling died down. And he reported this, I suddenly stopped in my tracks because from several directions, from several churches, I heard people singing Christmas carols. The writer says, friends, that's the spirit it's going to take in the future for Christianity in this nation, to trust in God and never, never quit. Lastly, the power we possess is the power to bring blessing and prosperity in our life. That doesn't always mean finances, although that could very well be a part of it, but a joy-filled life, a hope-filled life, as we talked about the last couple weeks. And here's a great verse to memorize a great promise, Joshua 1.8, the book of the law, this book of the law, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you have good success. It's not enough to read God's word. We have to put it into our hearts. We have to apply it. We have to go out and do what it says. Just like James 1 says, we got to be doers of the word. And when we do that, God says, I will bring prosperity. I will bring good success into your life. The ultimate benefit to us is if we purpose in our hearts and live out our lives with God's wisdom through his commandments, we're going to have a much better quality of life and more impact with others in our immediate sphere of influence. This isn't in a guarantee that you won't have storms and pain in your life. So I was listening to a podcast the other day and someone said, you're in one of three places. You're either coming out of a storm, you're in the storm, or you're about to go into a storm. You know, Job said, man is born a few days and full of troubles. And, and I know that sometimes that's bad news, but that's the reality and the up and down of life. And so it's no guarantee, but if we navigate those things, holding on to Jesus' hand and letting him lead us through those times, we'll experience God in very special and unique ways that will build our faith for the road ahead. So here's our application to this point. God knows best how he made us to live life to reach our maximum performance level. That's the thing. If we want to reach the maximum performance level that God has uniquely made us to be, then we need to get into the book, the instruction manual. You know, when I buy a new vehicle or a used vehicle, there's a lot of things nowadays I don't know with all the technology, and I got to get the book out, and I got to read it. And uh, some of the things I still don't know and don't use in my cars, right? But if we put sugar in our gas tank, we're going to have a serious problem, right? If we don't follow the instruction manual and do what it says, it could destroy our vehicle. So it is with our lives. God gives us this instruction manual for us to know how to find good success and prosperity. So let's commit to reading God's instruction manual for life and share with others how following God's design makes life so worth living. Here's a key thought. A life lived without the boundaries God has given to us will lead to a wasted life. And I hope nobody ends up in this way. But a life lived without the boundaries God has given to us will lead to a wasted life. So here's some things at the bottom of your paper today. Instead of questions, some thoughts to ponder 
this third week of Advent. A life lived without boundaries brings bondage, not freedom. A life lived without boundaries is a life lived without purpose and reality. A life lived without boundaries will be filled with guilt and consequences that become your cycle of life. And a life lived within God's boundaries can break the power of sin and bring ultimate fulfillment to your life. As we close, I'm just going to share this short story. It really has nothing to do with the sermon, but it gives us a little you know, lift and little laugh today. As we think about this, there was a, a woman who went to her doctor, and this was a young doctor. He just got out of residency and just set up practice, and he went in there, and after, she went in there, and after four minutes, she came running out of the room screaming, running down the hall. An older doctor stopped her and said, what's going on? And she told the story. And so he calmed her down and took her in an exam room and said, you know, just wait here. And so this older doctor, who was very wise, went and talked to the new doctor. He says, what are you doing? Mrs. Terry's 63 years old. She has four children. She has seven grandchildren. And you just told her that she was pregnant. What are you doing? And the young doctor, without looking up, was writing on the clipboard. And he said, does she still have the hiccups? Does she still have the hiccups? And so as you think about that, just a little laughter today as we close. To leave this morning with a smile on your face and fill with the hope, the joy, and the blessing because of our obedience to God and his word as we go through this Christmas season. Let's bow for prayer. As we think about our lives, and maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I've been trying to follow the boundaries, the commands, the precepts, the teachings of God, but I have deviated in some ways. Maybe I can identify with Ralphie to get out of the consequences and the trouble. He told his lie about what happened to his glasses so that he wouldn't have to pay the consequences. And maybe you're today, maybe you've been guilty with telling some lies, what you think are white lies, or not wanting to accept uh, some of the consequences that God has brought into your life and so you drown them out or you do something else to divert your attention away from God trying to lovingly pull you back and discipline you. Just take a moment and say, God, help me. Help me, Lord, to commit my life to reading the word and not allowing it to depart out of my heart without fulfilling it and carrying it out in my life. Forgive me for the things that I've done that have broken your laws, that have broken your safe boundaries that are there to protect and provide for me. Just recommit ourselves to following his instructions. Father, we thank you, Lord, today for your word. We thank you that as it goes forth, it never returns void, that it carries out the work that you desire for it to do. And as we gather in a room like this or we're on the live stream, it's amazing how we can share your word and how it uh, touches each individual life in a different way to carry out the application that you desire for every human heart. So Lord, I pray for those that are struggling with uh, finding the joy and the hope of doing what God wants in their life. Lord, may they take some time this Christmas season to reflect on the message of this season and reflect on the awe and wonder of a God who would willingly send his son to earth and allow him to die on the cross for our sins to give us the hope of abundant life here 
and a joyful life in heaven for eternity. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.